I want to tell you as your pastor, because I love you and I believe in Jesus, that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. How do I know that it's going to be okay? Simply put, because you are going to be like Jesus and you are headed home. I know those two things about your destiny beyond a shadow of a doubt. Okay, you are becoming like Jesus regardless of what happens to you. If you belong to him, that is your destiny. You are becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And your good Jesus, who I told you last week is preparing a place for you, is in the business of working to bring you home. How do I know that uh, ultimately you're going to be like Jesus? I know it because of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Hear these words here. They're famous words. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The crucial part there is the promise that we will also reign with him. I want to remind you this morning that your destiny is twofold. Your destiny is to be with and to be like Jesus. Let that seep into your heart just for a moment. That is your destiny. Maybe you've wondered about it from time to time. What is my life all about? Your destiny is to be like and with Jesus. I could stop right there, and it'd be a good sermon. You have a short one, but a good one. That's your destiny, church, to be like and to be with Jesus. But since we're here anyway, maybe I should give you 20 more pictures of what that's going to look like in your life from Genesis chapter 49. I actually uh, had a hard time last week reading my Bible on the podium. Usually I sit down. I'm not sitting down here because that would require us to move the camera, and uh, we're not into doing that for the sake of keeping things simple. And so I actually had a hard time reading it. So good old, old Pastor Todd is going to hold his Bible and read it. Here's uh, Genesis 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. He's referring to uh, a past event when Reuben unfortunately made the decision to go and sleep with Bilcha, one of his father's concubines. Simeon and Levi, our brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. If you are uh, Simeon and Levi, you're like, we are paying the price for that time. We went and sacked that city and killed everyone in it because they'd raped our sister Dinah. Again, he's referring to past events that have consequences into the future of his sons. Verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. 
Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's one of the most messianic prophecies in all of the Old Testament. Prophesying right there that the crown, the scepter, the rule, the kingdom will never depart from the house of Judah. Of course, we know that our Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, comes from Judah's line. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Isaschag is a strong donkey. Crouching between the sheepfolds, he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear, and he became a servant of forced labor. Again, I keep thinking about these boys. They're men by now. Going great. My destiny is to become a servant of forced labor. Thanks a lot, Dad. Dan shall judge his peoples, verse 16, as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. That's a non sequitur right there. That's Jacob taking a breath. I love that. Reminds me of me. Reminds me of my father. Reminds me of my mother. Reminds me of my grandfather's. Reminds me of my grandmother's. Pausing in the midst of a difficult moment to call upon the name of the Lord. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Interestingly, Gad became one of the um, most militarily proficient tribes in the history of the Jewish people. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears fruitful fawns. He's like, all right, we're going to get busy. That's an exciting future. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. Wait till I get to that point. His arms are made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be upon the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan. Remember when I preached to you about Abraham buying that field from his friend Mamre? Which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. When I came to this chapter, literally no joke, if you follow me online, at Todd Candelon, you will have seen me post, I think it was Monday, maybe it was Tuesday, Tuesday, you would have seen me post, after doing my first pass on this text, I do not feel, I, I think I said, gosh, this chapter is lovely. I don't feel worthy 
to preach it, and I still feel that way. Nonetheless, we will do what God has called us to do. Here's Keystone Habit number 13. You'll see the definition for Keystone Habits on your screen. Okay, Keystone Habit, importantly, is a habit that cascades into other areas of your life. Keystone Habit number 13 for this week. Embrace your destiny of blessings through Jesus. Receive it. Embrace your destiny of blessings through Jesus. I'm asking you this week to embrace something that you can't fully see yet. And I know that's difficult. But here's the big idea. Since you're going to reign with Jesus anyway, you might as well start living like it now. Somebody say amen in their living room. Isn't that just true, logical? Since you're going to reign with Jesus anyway, you might as well start living like it here and now. And so to help you do that, I'm going to zero in on Judah and Joseph's blessings to paint a picture for you of what the blessed life looks like. Why? Not just to make you happy, although I want to do that. Not just to give God his glory, although I want to do that. Not just to encourage you, although I want to do that. I'm going to paint this picture of what the blessed life looks like so that you can recognize it when it arrives at the outskirts of your life. I do not believe that anybody persists in despair forever. I have been in despair. I know, as the great Alabaman preachers say, that joy cometh in the morning. Okay? Despair has not come to stay. It has come to pass. So I believe, and in fact more than believe, I know because I have experienced it, that there will come a moment, yea, even in the midst of this pandemic, there will come a moment when you see the goodness of God beginning to show up in the outskirts of your life. And I want you to recognize it so that you can embrace it. Somebody shout, right? I want you to recognize okay, what the beautiful life, what the blessed life looks like so that when it begins to show up, you can embrace it. So you might be thinking, why Judah and Joseph? What about the other brothers? Well, the reason is Judah and Joseph, and now the tribe that came from Joseph was the tribe of Ephraim. Okay? Ephraim was the son of Joseph, and Ephraim's tribe became the dominant tribe in the history of the people of Israel. Not the tribe called Joseph, the tribe from Joseph was called out. Ephraim became the two dominant ruling tribes throughout the rest of the history of God and his Jewish people. We know that from the tribe of Judah came ultimately the line of kings. What's important about the line of kings is that from the line of kings came the Messiah. This was prophesied to be so, and we believe from Jesus' story that this is in fact what happened. And so from Judah's line came the Messianic line. Jesus, God the Son made flesh, is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. And in his work on the cross and in his resurrection... As you respond to him by faith, you have been adopted into his family, which is the family of the tribe of Judah, the kingly family in the history of God and his Jewish people. So that is why, out of all the 12 tribes of Israel, since we're talking about ruling and reigning with Jesus anyway, I am zeroing in on the tribes of Judah and Joseph, Ephraim, and zeroing in on their blessing. So, here is what Jacob prophesied Judah and Joseph's blessed life was going to look like. My hope here is that as we walk with Jesus, I want us to watch together for signs of these to show up in our lives so that we can embrace them. So let's start with Judah. 
I'm just going to go through this point by point. I wrote this sermon differently than any sermon I've ever written in my whole life. So we're just going to go through this point by point, and we'll see how it works. Oh, interestingly, this is a good point to tell you this. Um, Devin, do you want to come up here and get a cutaway? I'll just wait for you to come up here with that, uh, with the uh, handheld camera. But you will see online a um, link to a downloadable PDF where we will, we have posted this document. What this document is, is it is an outline for what usually would have been our small groups. And so since we're not meeting as small groups anymore, what I have done with this document is I have prepped it for you to work through it devotionally as one person or even in the context of your family. So you'll notice, if you can see it there on screen, that uh, I've highlighted the devotional exercises. So every point that you're going to experience in today's sermon is contained in that document plus a devotional exercise for you to undertake. Now, I'm not expecting anyone to do all 20, but I have 20 there because I know that we are family and we are diverse and different, and so not everybody's going to like all 20, but for sure, in the midst of those 20, I'm hoping that you will find one that speaks to you. So you can uh, print those and uh, download them and follow along with us, and most importantly, you can walk this out in your life this week. The blessed life looks like, point number one, praise. The blessed life looks like a life of praise. I get this out of verse 8. Your brothers shall praise you. I want to remind you and invite you to praise the right object. Okay, you live in the same world as me. You know that you will be tempted day in and day out to praise anything but Jesus. So that's step number one. Okay, the blessed life looks like a life of praise. I want to invite you to praise the right object. I want to invite you to live a life that praises Jesus. Now coming to you, because you are in Jesus, I want to ask you to think about what it might look like for you to live a praiseworthy kind of life. Not so that you get the praise, because we know as God's people, when we work great exploits, people see that it's not because of us, because they know us. They know we're dust, we're human just like them. But they can see that something different in you and me because of Jesus, because of his Holy Spirit that enables us, empowers us to do things that a normal person never would. And there will come a day when those who have seen your good deeds will what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. What's it going to look like for you this week to live a praiseworthy kind of life? The blessed life looks like a victorious life. I find this in verse 8. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Friend, let me remind you this morning that Jesus has conquered the grave. Yes, we know that when the curse was pronounced in the Garden of Eden, God said to Eve that one day her offspring would crush the head of the snake. So it's not exactly word for word, but when I read here that the hand of the sons and daughters of Judah shall be on the neck of their enemies, I can't help but think about my Jesus who conquered the grave. Because Jesus has conquered the grave, you can live in victory. And I make no apology this morning for sounding like a prosperity preacher. What might it look like for you this week to live in victory? Just choose one thing. One aspect. We all know in the midst of this crisis that you have 99 problems. Pick one and figure out what it's going to look like for you to live in victory this week. The blessed life looks like a life of preeminence. We find this outlined again still in verse 8. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Let me remind you who we bow to. You already know the answer. We bow to Jesus and no one else. This is beautiful. Have you been bowing to other things besides Jesus? Even fear. And like Jenny said off the top, anxiety. 
These are powerful forces. Despair, depression, loneliness. All of these things are real. I'm not telling you to pretend like you're not having those feelings. Those are real feelings. But make sure you do not bow down to them. Because we bow to Jesus. I mean, I want to say somebody shout. We bow to Jesus and no one. You don't have to let your problems rule you because you are already ruled by one who is mightier than they. Hallelujah. This is the great genius of Christianity, by the way. Right? Your secular friends, neighbors, coworkers, and peers think that it is stupid to bow the knee to anyone. I say, well, I understand the reluctance to bow the knee to anyone unless that anyone happens to be the someone who is the master maker of all that is. I, <laughs> I am happy to bow the knee to him. Because in bowing the knee to Jesus, we don't have to bow the knee to anyone else because the blessed life looks like a life of preeminence. It's a life of uh, power and kingship. We find this in verse 9. Judah is a lion's cub. Who dares rouse him? Let me remind Yes, I'm trying to embolden you this morning. You're on to me. You got me. Okay, who do you serve? You serve the king of kings. Get your authority structure right. Okay? Don't let anyone own you but the king of kings. Don't let anyone rule you but the king of kings. Okay? The blessed life looks like a life of power and kinship. And I'm not saying that you're going to be king or queen, but I'm saying that you serve the king of kings. And you are his daughter and you are his son. And you have been adopted into his family and he is preparing a place for you and his inheritance is your inheritance. If that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what will. The blessed life looks like a life of sustained rule. I find this in verse 10. The, the scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Okay, a king's scepter. So, by the way, don't you love that Jacob is spending his last few breaths prophesying over his sons? Let me urge you to become the kind of woman, to become the kind of man, to become the kind of matriarch, to become the kind of patriarch who one day as you breathe your last has the spiritual depth and the relationship with the king of kings so that you prophesy over your children as you prepare to meet your maker. I mean, isn't this beautiful? I haven't written that in the sermon. I wasn't going to emphasize it, but don't miss it. These are his last words, and he's using them to prophesy. The scepter, the rule, shall not depart from the house of Judah. Let me remind you this morning that in Christ the King, you have a sustained ruler. Okay, his rule is sustained. It's not shaky. It's not uncertain. Thank God for the steadiness of Jesus in the midst of these troubled times. Because... Receive it. Because Jesus is so steady, you can be too. I mean, help me, Lord. How, how, how awesome is that? His rule is sustainable. It will never fail. Because Jesus is so steady, you can be too. The blessed life looks like a life of satisfaction. I find this in verse 10. Until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience or the expectation of the peoples. Except the English translators, as we sometimes do, got it wrong. It actually reads in the Hebrew, until Shiloh 
comes to him. And what is this prophecy? Shiloh was the place that the Ark of God's Covenant was located in until such time as King David, descendant of Judah, finally took the throne in Jerusalem, established his rule and his reign over the country, finally fulfilling God's promise to the patriarchs, and the country became so peaceful that finally the Ark could come from Shiloh, the presence of God could come from Shiloh to Jerusalem to dwell with his friend David. What is the point here? The presence of God is what is being prophesied here from Jacob to his son Judah. And this is a reminder to you and me that what we really need at the end of the day is the presence of God. Whether we live or whether we die, it is the presence of God at work in our lives that is the material factor. That's what you need. If you find yourself having a hard time dealing with the stresses of this stressful season, go to the rock that is higher than you. Go to the river, my friend, and drink deep of the river of life. Okay, go to the Spirit and drink deeply of His presence. Yes, I dare say it. Become a little more charismatic. And just in case you're inclined to think that the word charismatic is a dirty word, it's not. It literally means full of the Spirit. And who wouldn't want to be a little more full of the Spirit? Could I get an amen? Right? That's what you need. Okay, take it from Pastor Todd. Where do I start? Listen to worship music. Listen to good Bible preaching about Jesus. Sit and listen to him as you listen to the worship. Sit silently in prayer and wait for God to speak to you. Those are three good steps to start tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, drinking deeply of his spirit and finding that satisfaction that comes from Shiloh until Shiloh comes to him. The blessed life looks like a life of savedness. Let me read to you here verses 11 through 12. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. I can't help myself. That sounds a lot like um, the picture of Jesus we see in Revelation chapter 22. Let me read it for you here. Actually, sorry, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Now I saw... Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and him who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So listen here to the description of Jesus, having just heard the description of Judah, from whose line Jesus came. His eyes were like a flame of fire, red eyes, Judah's eyes were prophesied to be red eyes from the wine, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. If you dipped Judah's robe in grapes, what would it look like? It would look like it had been dipped in blood. And his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, a scepter that will never depart from the house of Judah. He himself treads what? The winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. Okay, and I cannot help but read about Judah here and think about his descendant, Jesus. What's the point about Jesus pictured there as the conquering savior in revelation chapter 19 here's the point jesus has saved you okay i hope you take great hope in hearing this ancient story about jacob blessing his son judah and you realize that the roots of salvation are embedded very very deeply in the past 
Okay, Jesus has saved you. Jesus is saving you, right? As you respond to what he has done for you at the cross and in his resurrection and in sending the Holy Spirit to fill your heart, he is saving you. You know this as much as I do. You don't act like people who don't know Jesus act. There is something different about you, and that acting differently preserves you from experiencing the consequences of sin in the fullness, in the fullness of measure that your friends experience it because they don't know any better. Okay, you are set apart. Jesus is preserving you. He is saving you even in the here and now. And of course, we know that one day Jesus will save you when he returns to make all things right, to make all things new. You have been saved from all eternity in the heart of God the Father, in the words of Tom Torrance. You were saved in the work of God the Son, in his incarnation, sinless life, death, and resurrection. And you are being saved, or you will be saved, as you respond to the work of God the Holy Spirit, inviting you, calling you, equipping you, empowering you to walk in that which has been accomplished for you. In light of the fact that you have been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved, please join me in taking a deep breath. It's, uh, it's going to be okay. The blessed life is a life that waits for the right thing. We see this outlined in verse 18. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. That's the parenthetical that I told you about when we first read this. This is Jacob's moment. He's done the first half of the blessings. He pauses. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. And you know what he's saying literally in the Hebrew? I wait, Leishuatecha. I am waiting for your Jesus. I want to invite you to be like Simeon, to be like Jacob, to become a woman a man who knows how to wait. I had Jenny read the story of Simeon off the top today because he was the kind of man I want to be, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Here's my word to you this week, friend. Wait for Jesus. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of all the uncertainty that it is bringing into your life, hallelujah. Somebody say it with me. Wait for Jesus. Wait for Jesus like Jacob. And moving on to Joseph now. The blessed life looks like a life of faithfulness. It's point number nine. We find it from verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. I want to remind you that you should be living the kind of life that is fruitful. Lift your eyes again to the bright future that lies before you and live a kind of life that is expecting to see fruit. You're like, Todd, it's counterintuitive to expect fruit in a time of famine. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly the kind of result I would expect the gospel to have in your life and mine. Hope in the midst of despair. Joy in the midst of mourning. Peace in the midst of turmoil. Provision in the midst of famine. Somebody shout! Counter-program the culture. Counter-program your response to the culture. Woo! Begin living a life that is expecting fruitfulness. And do whatever it takes to cultivate said fruitfulness. I would would slap you if I could. Live a life that is cultivating fruitfulness. And know that you are going to experience continuous provision. Because that's what the blessed life looks like in point number 10. We find this in verse 22. A fruitful bough. I can't can't even. I can't even. Okay? A fruitful bough. Where? By a spring. I'm I'm trying not to shout. You know, Dev, if you can find a good one, I want you to find a praise break. You know a praise break, like in a Alabama or a Texas church, when the Holy Ghost falls, and they start going crazy, and the drums are going, boop, bop, boop, bop, boop, bop, boop, bop, and everyone's dancing, they start dancing like this, praise break. Okay, so if you can find a praise break, insert it here, praise break. And if you can't, that's fine. 
we'll just do it in our mind. Joseph is a fruitful bough by a spring. What does that remind me of? You know what it reminds me of. And he showed... Can't even. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree, help me, Lord, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. A fruitful bough by a stream. Do not miss the fact that the river of life flows from the throne of God, and as if that's not enough, God places the tree of life astride the river of life. A double portion for you today, friend. Receive it. Yeah, receive it. The tree of life, unceasingly watered by the... I can't even. The The tree of life, unceasingly watered by the river of life. Somebody shout. Hallelujah, Lord. What great provision you have provided. What great love you have poured out. What great peace now is awash in our souls. What great hope we now have in your salvation. Bless your name, O Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. I'm here to remind you this morning that the blessed life is a life of uncontained growth. That's point number 11. Verse 22. His branches run over the wall. They don't just grow within the courtyard. I'm snotting. They run over the wall. They run. What's the point? Never stop growing. Also, be more feminine. You're like, what? Yes, because again, the translator got it wrong. It doesn't say in the Hebrew, his branches run over the wall. What does it say in the Hebrew? Ladies, look at me. It says, his daughters run over the wall. His, so in some ways... The uncontained growth that God is bringing into your life is feminine. I want to receive more of that. Uncontained growth. The blessed life, point number 12, looks like a life of perennial toughness. Oh man, I love every point in this sermon. Let me read to you verses 23 through 24a. The archers, speaking now of Joseph, bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. What's the point? What's the point? Here's the point. Adversity will come. Notice that even Joseph, the favorite son, his future is prophesied to have trouble in it. The archers bitterly attacked him. Adversity, I can't even. Adversity will come, yet his bow remained unmoved. And what is the definition of the English word unmoved from the Hebrew? Yet his bow remained perennial. And what is a perennial flower? It is a flower that returns to life season after season. You're welcome. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. The blessed life is a life of perennial toughness. The kind of toughness that comes back season after season. Yes, we're in a tough season, but you will come back because life in Jesus is a perennial kind of life. What's it going to look like for you this week to begin mounting your comeback 
And I don't know if this is going to be over in a matter of weeks or months, but I know that it will be over. And I know that we will see the Lord in the land of the living. And I know that the day will come when we stand together as his people to give him praise together in his house. And I know that even now he is preparing a harvest like we have never seen. So stop living like you've been defeated and start living like you will come back because life in Jesus is a perennial kind of life. Yes, Lord! The blessed life is a sturdy kind of life. I find this in verse 24. Yet his bow remains perennial. From there shepherds him the stone of Israel. That's the right way to interpret that passage. Yet his bow remains perennial. From there, from that kind of steadiness, shepherds him the stone of Israel. Here's the point. God shepherds you from sturdy perennialness. So stand firm. What's it going to look like for you to stand firm this week? I'm doing this organizationally. I'm fighting fear at every turn. I'm saying, no, we will not stop. We will go. I'm saying, no, we will not shrink back. We will strive. I'm saying, no, we will not live in fear. We will believe. Why? Because from the kind of sturdiness prophesied to Joseph, from there, the shepherd of Israel, the stone of Israel, shepherds me. So I will stand firm. And I invite you, my friends, to do the same. Because the blessed life, point number 14, is an immovable, agile, rooted in family kind of life. A life that is helped and a life that is blessed. Let me read it to you out of verses 24 through 25. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast, and blessings of the womb. He will provide for you immovable, agile, rooted in family, helped and blessed. That's what the provision of God, that's what the blessing of God looks like. Watch for it. It will come. It also looks manly. Point number 15 out of verse 26. The blessings of your father are mighty. And yes, the word for mighty is manly. My father is a good, good father. And so I am learning to trust him. And I invite you in this season of trouble to learn to do the same. And may I remind you with great joy that the blessed life, point number 16, is a life of extravagant blessing. I know this because I know verse 26. Hear the poetry here? This is just crazy. This reduced me to tears first time I read it. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. How beautiful is that line? Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. As usual in the Hebrew, it's even better than in the English. Until the love or the desires of the heights of the world. That's how much God loves you. God loves you until the desires of the heights of the world. Friend, God loves you so much that sometimes when he's describing it in his word, he resorts to poetry. I don't know what else I can do to help you. You'll find it in your notes. Go somewhere this week and read some poetry. Read some Keats. Read some Milton. Read some Shakespeare. 
Read some Yates. And then, having read it, meditate on the fact that God loves you like a poem. (laughs) I can't even. The blessed life. It's a special kind of life, point 17. You are special. I get this out of verse 26, the second part. Of him who was set apart from his brothers. Okay, I probably don't even need to read it to you. In fact, I won't read it to you for the sake of time. But you are a what? A holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. Right? That's quoting poorly 1 Peter 2.9. In Jesus, you have been set apart. You are not part of the unwashed masses. You have been cleaned up in Jesus, cleansed by his blood, set apart for his service, an heir with Christ. You are special. Never let no one tell you different. And I want you to remember this morning that the blessed life looks like a life that is on its way home. Point number 18. I get this out of verses 28 through 32. This is the whole point. After Jacob finishes blessing his sons of him saying, when I die, take me home and bury me with my family. He wants to be taken home. Bury me with my fathers. You are on your way home. I love the ancient Jewish practice of burying the whole family together. I would much prefer to have my bones lie next to my grandpa Kerr's bones. Okay, I feel what Jacob is talking about here. Why? Because I don't want to die alone. And the practice of dying alone and of being buried alone is not Jewish. And I don't even think it's from God's family. Because God's family does not die alone. Friend, the people of God don't die alone. And even if you are watching this alone in your house, let me remind you this morning that you are not alone. Because God himself is with you by his spirit. And the same spirit that is filling you even now is the same spirit that fills me. And so even across the miles and across this technological border, we are united in Christ. You are not alone. The people of God do not die alone. They are rather 19 gathered to their people. Verse 33. And he was gathered to his people. In, I, I love this. I love every point in this sermon. Okay? Get this. Take this all the way. Okay? Take it as far as you need to take it this week. In, what's happening in death? Okay? What's happening in death? Let me invite you to think differently about death. Ready for this? I can't, I can't help myself. In In death, God is collecting his friends. I mean, somebody help me in this city. Somebody help me in China, watching right now. Right? (laughs) In death, God is collecting his friends. I love that. And he was gathered to his nation. He was gathered to his nation people. And friend, finally, point 20, and Kathy, you can come join me because I'm done. I want to remind you this morning that you can trust him. Why? Because he is here working out a perfectly symmetrical plan. And we all love symmetry, right? We prefer a perfect circle, right? It's a perfect circle, right? Symmetry. We all are drawn to it because symmetry represents Perfection. You can trust God because he is working out a perfectly symmetrical plan. I get this out of verse 33. This, I hope this blows your mind. I, I love you so much. He, speaking of Jacob, drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. 
Okay? And was gathered to his people. You ready for it in the Hebrew? Get ready to have your mind blown. Vayasef el Amav. Vayasef and was gathered el to Amav, his nation, his people. Vayasef el Amav. And he was gathered. Yasef comes from the word la'asof, which means to add to, to be gathered to. Yasef is also the root of the name Yosef. It is the root of the name of our protagonist, Joseph. Joseph means the gatherer. Joseph means the gathered one. Joseph means receive it. The one who was added. And I'm here to tell you, church, that any God who cares enough to orchestrate a story about a boy named Gather who was lost and then restored to his father who then died in peace gathered to his people while his son named Gather stood lovingly at his side is the kind of God who is clearly in charge enough to be worshipped as king and trusted to bring you home. So regardless of how tough your journey gets, embrace your destiny of blessings through Jesus. And somebody said, Amen.